Innovation shines when it's given the opportunity to thrive. But sometimes the most groundbreaking technologies can fall flat on their face if their pitch misses the mark. But pitching's an art, and no one wants to sound like a cliche salesperson. But if a pitch is executed well, it can transform a budding idea or an early stage company into a game-changing success story. So today I'm recording this episode from the National Telehealth Conference in Sydney, which is part of Connect Virtual Care, hosted by Informer Connect. And this afternoon I'll be moderating the pitch fest at this event, where startup founders, CEOs and representatives bravely take the stage to pitch their innovative solutions to investors, fellow innovators and curious spectators. I got to catch up with these passionate entrepreneurs before and after their time on the stage to find out more about who they are and what problem their innovation will solve. Collaboration starts with the conversation team health tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritise content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or ten minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. My name's Sarah Dow and I'm a learning and development consultant for CyberClinic and I've been with the company for about a year now, consulting. And so you're a little bit unique compared to the other people who are presenting here. I mean, we've got founders and CEOs and you're bringing like the first-hand experience of delivering training? Yes. So I suppose my background is actually in secondary teaching and I've also dabbled in international community development. My trajectory was, do I either become a school principal or do I use my skill set somewhere else? So this is far more exciting. <laughs> Love it. And so you're at Cyber Clinic. Now tell us what Cyber Clinic is and who's it for, what problems it solve? Yeah, sure. So Cyber Clinic is an online mental health clinic. And I suppose the problem that we're solving is that access issue. We know that wait lists to access your first appointment with a psychologist at the moment are between three and six months in Australia. And one in three psychologists are closing their books as well to new patients. So there's a big need out there. So we leverage technology to be able to solve that access issue. For example, when patients are referred to Cyber Clinic, they download our app and then they are matched to a best fit practitioner, then they can connect with that best fit practitioner, which is also, they're connected to that practitioner using a smart algorithm. And then they can connect with the practitioner on our own fully encrypted video conference system. And then after each appointment, which is a really important feature of Cyber Clinic, they can actually measure how they feel that their well-being is tracking, but also how they feel that their connection with their practitioner is tracking. And this information helps the practitioner to provide, I suppose, what we call feedback-informed therapy. 
So that's one component of the business. And so making sure that that connection between patient and practitioner is really strong because we know that if there's a strong bond between the pair, that can increase clinical outcomes for patients by 250%. That's a lot of percent. And But that, to that point around trying to measure something that potentially could be quite subjective or based on how you feel. And so being able to have quantifiable measures, I can see how an app or a virtual solution, which inherently have the ability to collect much more data because it's all being done within the one kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I can see why the data and the feedback piece would really help close that loop for you. Yeah, absolutely. And so really we know that if we're going to deliver that quality care, so not just solving the access issue, but also delivering quality care, we need to be focusing on that therapeutic alliance. That's really key. But also because all that data is on the platform, we also have another side of the business, which is really exciting. We've got proof of concept for a conversational AI tool. Essentially, we would want to design that to enhance the online experience for the patient. And what would happen there is the tool would support the practitioner to pick up in real time issues that are occurring with the patient. And the practitioner and the patient might not even be aware of these issues at the time, but the algorithm can pick it up, alert the practitioner, and that will also inform their therapeutic approach and possibly prevent certain things from happening too. Good use of tech. Lastly, what brings you to the pitch first? What are you hoping to get out of the session today? I'm catching you before you go out onto the stage. (laughs) This is a good run through for you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Look, this is actually my first pitch in the corporate world. And I suppose what I'm looking to get out of it today, it's really about Cyber Clinic and about the difference that Cyber Clinic can make for patients. So what we're actually seeking, we're ready to scale. So we're actually seeking investment. And so any networks that we can establish through this pitch fest would be amazing. So I'm Dr. Adrian Cohen. I'm the founder of HeadSafe, and our technology is called NeuroCheck. Nice. And NeuroCheck, tell us a bit more about NeuroCheck and what it's about. I'm a doctor that looks after sporting teams, and the problem that's been first and foremost in the front of most of them, it's on the front page and the back page of the newspapers on the same day, is concussion. Now, the problem with concussion is it's hard to understand when it's actually happened, which is why there's so much confusion. There's no gold standard test. We can't run out in the field and do a biopsy of the brain and look under the microscope and give someone an answer. In the past, we've relied on things like, well, I don't know, am I holding up three fingers? Yeah, buddy, you're good to go. Or uh, can you tell me who the prime minister is in, well, yeah. what, this week? And yeah, it depends on who the government is at the time, but that can change. So yeah, getting the wrong answer doesn't necessarily mean you're confused. Yeah. But that's subjective. What we really need is objectivity. So the parallel we often use is that of the ECG for the heart. We're all very familiar with that. You walk into the doctor's surgery, they put the electrodes on, you get a trace on the screen, the doctor makes a diagnosis or manages your treatment on the basis of that. Now, if they're not sure, then sometimes they give you a stress test. They exercise the heart. They put you on a treadmill or an exercise bike and see how your heart responds and if the ECG changes. Well, NeuroCheck is like an ECG for the brain. We've known the brain produces electricity for 100 years. That's called an EEG, an electroencephalograph. When you stimulate the brain, you get an evoked potential. We stimulate with light, so it's called a visual evoked potential. 
And quite simply, we are the world's worst VR game, right? We stimulate the <laughs> eyes by flashing some lights. You're not shooting hoops or landing an aeroplane on an aircraft carrier. And these specially designed patented electrodes on the back measure the brain's electrical response. Now, here's the kicker. That changes in concussion. So we have an objective, reliable test to help the doctor make an informed diagnosis. No more guesswork. Oh, by the way, takes two minutes. Even better. So that's on the head of the person with the concussion. Is there something to read it on the other side? Like Yeah, so at the moment it goes into, we started off with an app, we're now into a PC, just for a whole lot of security stuff, particularly for hospitals where you can't bring your own device. This test can be done on the sideline in those sports where there is a sideline test. Now that's at the elite level. The sports we see on television and in the international games. For community and school sports, there is no sideline test. There's no head injury assessment for 10 minutes. When in doubt, sit them out. Then you're going to go and see your doctor. So this is a test that can be done within the first couple of days to validate your decision that there was, in fact, concussion. Now, just as importantly, we've got these arbitrary timeframes at the moment of when it's safe for you to come back. Used to be five days, then it was seven days, then it was 10 days, then it was 12. We are literally just clutching at straws. We need to individualise this. We need to base it on science. So if we neuro-check you during your recovery, we can see when you're back to normal and then you should be safe to return to play. What's the downside of getting it wrong? Concussion creates concussion. The more you have, the more you get. The more easily you get them. The longer term the problems you have, like persistent headache, visual disturbances, a whole lot of stuff post there, right up to the time when we examine you post-mortem when you've got this disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. The other thing, though, in kids in particular, if you send someone back onto the field before their brain has recovered from the first impact, you risk what's potentially fatal second impact syndrome. So it all comes down to the same things. How do you diagnose it in the first place? How do you ensure they're safe to return? The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Amazing. Well, look, I'm going to be able to hear more about this at the pitch fest when you jump on the stage. You speak so passionately about it. I think my biggest challenge in moderating this will be to keeping you to the allocated time because it's such an important topic to talk about. But what are you hoping to get out of this pitch fest today? This is a chance to showcase our Australian technology to a phenomenal audience here who are all vitally interested. More important, we, like most of the other companies here, need their investment to take us to the next steps. 
Our target market to start with is the US. It's a big market. We're ready with a go-to-market strategy. We are FDA cleared, which means that we can start selling into that market. You just need a few feet on the ground and a bit of a sales team and a few systems to make that happen. That's where we're headed next. We're already in research in Australia. We're working with all the sports here. I spoke in front of the Senate Committee on Concussion this week. We need to get this established at every sporting field, on every doctor's desk, in every ambulance. So my name is Serge Laurier. I'm a CTO of My Medic Watch. Thank you, Serge. My Medic Watch recently joined THT Plus, members of the community. Can't wait to do a dedicated conversation on the podcast, but we'll get a bit of a snippet from you now. Tell us what it's about, who it's for, and the problem it solves. Yeah, sure. So MyMedicWatch provides what we call a smart detection app, okay. which is application that you download on your commercial smartwatches. Okay. So it's no stigma because people can use any kind of smartwatches, almost any kind. And the algorithm that's running on the smartwatches can automatically detect the seizures or falls. Okay. And we are working now to detect a cardiac issue as well. Okay. So what it means if the person's got a medical condition and they have a medical episode, okay, the algorithm will detect automatically this seizure or fall and send notification automatically to the caregiver. So a caregiver can be the loved one, okay, the neighbors, okay, nurse, okay. And so the notification will be sent to them with the GPS notifications and they can go and help them, okay. So one of the cases will be elderly, for example, have a fall, okay, and they can't get up they really need the help automatically. So that's what we do. Amazing. And as someone personally who's still technically epileptic, although I've not had a seizure for quite some time, I know firsthand the complexities for carers, for people that are involved and the uncertainty that exists. So I imagine that the device, among many other things, would provide a lot of people with certainty. That's correct. I mean, the main thing is to give them peace of mind, because mainly because in your case, for example, we had is a fear for people to have medical visits, okay, to have a seizure or fall, okay. So by having this app, uh, monitoring them all the time, okay, if they have a seizure before, they know that some help are going to come, okay, and to help them. So something. So what we do mainly is an app to help people who need help, okay. So that's what we do. So yeah, we've been running for about two years now, a bit more, okay. That's crazy. People, in fact, download the app from app stores or Google Play stores, okay. And our B2C model is subscription-based, so they pay monthly or yearly. So they know the app is installed on their phone and on the smartwatches, okay? And the algorithm is working. Got okay. it. So it's pretty simple. Yeah. And lastly, so you, you, you'll be up on the stage at the Pitch Fest shortly. What are you hoping to get out of the session? I mean, this conference is about telehealth and monitoring. So we are moving to the patient monitoring system, okay? So my point is to show that what we can do with uh, commercial smartwatches, okay, low cost, okay, low system, we can provide the monitoring system and provide help for people who need help. Okay, so I think a cost-effective way, okay, to provide monitoring system and automatic detection for people who've got medical conditions. My name's Adam Hutchinson and I'm the founder of Overcome. We're a startup based in Christchurch, New Zealand, and we're making mental health treatment more accessible using virtual reality and smartphone technology. Tell us a bit more then about the application of the use of smartphone technology and virtual reality for the mental health side. Sure. So what we know is that 80% of people with an anxiety disorder like a phobia or social anxiety just don't get treatment because it's too expensive to go to a psychologist or it might be difficult due to their location or stigma 
or the fact that they just can't get into a psychologist because the average wait time is between 13 and 17 weeks. So there's all these reasons that lead to 80% of people not getting treatment. And so what we wanted to do was actually make treatment far more accessible by using virtual reality and specifically on the smartphone. So it means that people can get this amazing treatment, which is exposure therapy, but they just do it through virtual reality and then they can do it at home as well. So it was around recognising that problem, looking at the reasons why it exists and then sort of adapting and creating the technology to solve it in a way that was actually pretty meaningful to people so that they actually get the outcomes that they're wanting. Yeah, I have seen like plenty of good uses of, say, virtual reality or immersive technology that puts people in situations that they wouldn't have it would be rare for them to be in that situation. So being able to do that in, in a repetitive way or practice being in that situation is helpful. But sometimes it can be not everyone has a VR headset on, in the second drawer at home. Exactly. And cost is the major reason. Out of those four reasons that I mentioned before, a lot of people just can't afford a, a $700 Oculus Quest, for example, but they do have a smartphone. And right from day one, it was around how can we reach people with this treatment via their smartphone at home? So keeping the cost as low as possible. And so we do have to make some sacrifice with that. By targeting the smartphone, it means that we don't have the sensors that are available in the Oculus Quest, for example. But what we were able to prove in our first clinical trial was that we were actually able to get those results by using the limited technology that we have in a smartphone. So it was all around increasing the accessibility of this treatment as opposed to making it as, as amazing as possible, which you get from the Oculus Quest. So we do have to make a sacrifice in terms of the user experience. It's around 60% or so by using the smartphone as it would be with an Oculus Quest, but we're still able to trick the brain into, like you say, putting people into situations that they wouldn't normally experience. So for example, if someone's got social anxiety, they're more likely to just stay at home and not confront it. But, but by using VR, we're actually able to put them into different environments. It might be presenting to an audience. It might recording be... Recording a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I need a little yeah. module for recording a podcast to get more guests. But That is how you overcome something through this exposure therapy is by gradually experiencing those situations. And through VR and specifically on the smartphone, it means that we can reach people at scale using VR and tricking the brain and getting the results that exposure therapy has been proven to bring. Yeah, there's something about the whole smartphone technology thing. There's so many good uses of that bit of tech that everyone's got in their pocket. And sure, there's always like a better piece of technology to do something in a more granular way. As good artists say, you've got to limit the palette to be more creative and constraint drives creativity. And there's if it gets the outcomes and you're doing it for the right reasons, and that's what it's about. And it's a funny time because we've got the Oculus 2 that's been out for a little while and it's, it's sexier to target that right now. It is a nicer experience, but that's not really the goal. The goal is not to wow people necessarily. The goal is to reach people in their homes with this treatment. And that's what we as an organisation find more attractive is how can we reach more people at scale as opposed to creating the most slickest, the most amazing experience that you would get from a quest. So we're more focused on accessibility of treatment as opposed to that high-end experience. Love it. And lastly then, you're at the Pitch Fest. You've flown across the Dutch to be here. So what are you hoping to get out of the Pitch Fest? Yeah, a couple of things. It's really good to be able to connect with the likes of yourself and raise the awareness of Overcome, what we're doing, because typically when we've got a really big problem that we're focused on, we do tend to stay in a bit of a silo. We don't really get out. So by being able to come over to this event, we're able to tell everyone what we're up to over in New Zealand. But then also with the telehealth component, we've got a dashboard that allows a therapist to actually conduct this 
treatment remotely with a client as well who might be in a rural area, for example. And so the telehealth aspect of this means that we're able to connect in to people that are experienced in telehealth and understand what systems they're using and potentially if there's any integrations that can go on there. So we're starting to look for some of those opportunities and build those relationships too. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.